Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. because I'm hoping I can get through all this and that you all aren't here for a really long time. But you know I can talk fast. So get ready because we're getting ready to go. But just so I know that I'm not boring you all or holding you up too long, I'm going to start my stopwatch so I know exactly how long I've been talking. All right? So as I said, about a month ago, whenever I looked at my calendar and I saw that ladies' meeting was tonight, I wrote one word down. And I felt like that it was dropped into my lap and dropped into my heart that we needed to speak about. And that topic is gossip. So tonight, I'm going to talk to you. Have you heard about gossip? Taming the tongue. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. A church bulletin listed the sermon topic for the morning as gossip. Immediately following was the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. (laughs) Well... While that hymn talks about telling the story of the gospel, all too often God's people love to tell someone else's story. So I think that along with pride, gossip's probably a very widely tolerated and really a very destructive sin that can happen in the church. And a lot of us tolerate gossip because we're all guilty of it. As women, I think there's not one person in this room that could raise their hand and say, I have never gossiped. Because then you'd be guilty of lying, too, on top of it. It's easy to look at someone and condemn them for a sin that we've never done, but it's not easy to face up to a sin which we know we've done and then have encouraged others to do by listening to their gossip. And as women, this is something that definitely we are prone to, and even in the New Testament, many scriptures that pertain to gossip are written towards women because it's just a sin that we're prone to. We're talkers, we're emotional, we connect, we're social, and it's something that can very easily creep in and we don't, we're not aware of it. So we kind of tend to shrug it off, or of course, you know, the spiritualized, I just wanted you to know so you could pray. You tag that on and it just makes it all okay, right? But we have to own up to gossip as a serious sin that can destroy people. And to develop and protect proper relationships in the church, we've got to deal with the sin of gossip. Now, did God put this in my lap because we're guilty of it? I'm not saying that, but I do know this. As many women as in this room, we've all been guilty of it, and probably as early as yesterday or as long ago as 10 years ago, right? So it's something that it's not talked about a lot, but I feel like that if we talk about it, that then we can address it and we can make it better, okay? So one of the tricky things about the subject is defining the term, like what is gossip, because sometimes we're not even really sure what it truly is. 
Sometimes it involves a judgment call. Is it gossip? Is it not? And then we cross that line and don't even realize it. But if we just would deal with what we are clear about, it'd go a long way towards healing broken relationships. And it would prevent damage in the church. So before we talk about what gossip is, let's talk about what, gosp- what gossip is not. Simply talking about someone who is not present is not necessarily a, a sin or something wrong. In fact, we may tell good news about someone. We may tell someone, hey, did you know so-and-so's having a baby? Or they had a baby? Or did you know so-and-so got a job? Maybe so-and-so, they bought a new house. Or so-and-so had a birthday. You know, you're just relaying things and stories about people. And they may not be present when you're telling the person about it. Um, We may tell an interesting or humorous story about someone that's not present. Um, I could tell you some humorous stories about my husband, and he would totally not care that I told it. In fact, he'd sit right there by me and laugh about it and be like, yep, that's exactly what happened, and it was hilarious. The person involved wouldn't object if they knew that we shared it. Sometimes we even make announcements at church from the pulpit. Pray for so-and-so. They're not here tonight. Maybe they're out of town. Maybe they're homesick. We mentioned their name. We talked about it. We prayed about it. They weren't present. That doesn't constitute gossip. Such speech is not wrong, and this is the reason why, because the person we're speaking about wasn't harmed or injured in any way. In no way were they harmed, in no way were they injured when we mentioned their name. That's why in some cases, though, we may ask for prayer for an individual, but we provide no details, because then the reputation of that person could be tarnished. Maybe they're dealing with something, a personal struggle, and we're not going to share it with the church, because we don't want that person's reputation to be tarnished. I'm going to fix this mic because it keeps slipping. That's what this tape's for, right? There we go. <laughs> yep, I know now y'all going to laugh at me all night. And at times, even telling unfavorable or uncomplimentary things about people not present, not necessarily, y'all are just going to laugh at me, aren't you? will do that. No one's going to take me serious. <laughs> Sometimes we say things that aren't even favorable about someone. In fact, think about this. In Matthew 15, Jesus warned the disciples about the Pharisees. He told the disciples about the Pharisees and how they were unclean. You know, they looked good on the outside, but they were corrupt on the inside and all that. The Pharisees weren't there to hear him tell them that. In Matthew 20, the Bible says Jesus took his disciples aside and said, the chief priests and the scribes are going to kill me. In Galatians 2, you can go read it for yourself in the New Testament. Paul shared an incident where Peter was out of line. And Peter had basically been hanging out with the non-Jews, and then the Jews came along, and Peter thought, oh, this is going to look bad, so then he stepped away. And then he was saying that the non-Jews needed to do this and this and this, but, you know, circumcision and all that, but they didn't have to. And so basically Paul just kind of said, look, you're out of line, and you're interfering with the Gentiles' beliefs and what they think and how they believe and what's salvation. And so we had to straighten them out on it. So there are instances even in the Bible where things are brought about. And Paul even went to another church and he shared this situation with the people that were there. So, And think about this. Throughout the Bible, how many scriptures are recorded about the mistakes and the sins and the errors of many people? About David and his adultery with Bathsheba and how he had someone murdered or how Peter denied the Lord three times. And we read all these things in the Bible that are written there about someone that's long dead, buried, and gone, that's not here to defend themselves, that's not here to tell about the choices they made, but it's recorded in the scripture. And the men that wrote the scripture were inspired of God to write that for us. So if it's there, obviously we know God allowed that to be in there because we needed to benefit from it, we needed to learn from it, right? To understand that there are flawed people that can still be used of God 
to understand that God has mercy, to understand that God has grace, to even look back in the lineage of Jesus Christ and see all these imperfect people that did all these imperfect things. Matthew 18 talks about a Christian who sins. It tells us about how if you have one among you that claims to be a Christian and they sin and how there's problems that you just go to that person privately. The scripture goes on to say, then if that person doesn't repent, if they don't make right their ways, then you take two or three and go back to that person again. Use those people as witnesses. Keep things honest. If that person still refuses to repent and they still continue to, to cause problems and strife, then you take it before the church in love, hoping for a good outcome. Now, I know many of you, this is something that's not really done in our day and age, where so, you know, most things, and I'm thankful for it, that most of the time, thankfully, that things can be dealt with privately. And that's the best way because then people's reputations are kept intact, their integrity, there's no embarrassment, there's nothing like that. Okay, so that's a very rare case. But the point is, there are instances at times where the sins of others are told. But these times are rare and they're not the norm. It comes down to motive, necessity, purpose, intent, and benefit versus damage. Okay, so we're going to talk about these things. So we've talked about what gossip isn't. Let's talk about what gossip is. Webster defines gossip as either a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts or as a rumor or report of an intimate nature. It's also defined as casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Now, typically, but not always, it can involve details that are not confirmed to be true. But that's not always the case. As a verb, it means to engage in gossip. For example, they would start gossiping about her as soon as she left. One of the biblical words used is called a whisper in Romans 129, which points to the intimate nature of material. Usually a person that's a gossip doesn't stand up and broadcast it before a large group. They usually go to people privately, one-on-one, -on -one, or in a whisper, or in a small group, or behind closed doors. Another word is busybodies. And do you know that even in the Bible, and yes, the King James Version specifically speaks of busybodies in 1 Timothy 5.13, and withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Another word means to meddle in business which doesn't pertain to you, or from a verb meaning to babble, suggesting that gossip is empty, pointless talk, and a lot of times it's not completely factual. So here's what we're going to bring it down to. Here's, remember this tonight. We can define gossip as this. Sharing information which damages another person's reputation with those who have no need to know. I'm going to say that again. Gossip, sharing information which damages another person's reputation with those who have no need to know. It may be completely factual. The things you're saying may be absolutely 100% true. But is, one, are you damaging the person's reputation that you're talking about? And two, are you sharing it with someone that really needs to know? A lot of times the ones sharing the information didn't bother to check out the facts. And a lot of times it can get distorted, just like the old game used to play as kids, telephone, where it starts out as one thing on one end, and by the time it gets down about 10 people at the other end, it's something completely different. Well, typically that's what happens with gossip too, because each time it gets retold, there's something different or changed about it. All right? There's eight, I'm going to talk about eight different types of gossip. Okay? Eight different types. And we're going to start with number one, slander slander. If the one who is sharing the information knows that it's not completely true, and if the motive for sharing the information is to damage that person, 
Then it moves from just gossip to slander. The Hebrew word most often that's translated as slander means to give an evil report about someone. The Greek word means to speak against someone. It can also be translated malicious gossips. Now, 1 Timothy 3.11 talks, uh, actually, 1 Timothy 3 talks about deacons and bishops and such, and it goes on to talk about wives of deacons, of ministers, of elders, and it's giving some instruction for them. And it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, slanderer here is the same as the word devil. Because we know that devil means false accuser, right? He's the false accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. Well, even we know the story how the, how the devil went before God and accused Job. Well, if you let all this stuff happen to Job, he won't serve you. And he was accusing Job. He's only serving you because he has blessings and children and money. If it wasn't for that, he wouldn't serve you, okay? That's the nature of the devil. That's the nature of our enemy. So slander comes from that same word as devil. It comes from a compound word meaning to throw something against someone. So when we think about gossip and about slander, it should scare us to realize that when we gossip, we're entering into the very nature of the devil because the devil's a false accuser. And when we slander, we're doing what he went before God and did about Job. When we're guilty of slander, (laughs) bottom line, we're just acting like the devil, honestly. All right, so slander, that's number one. Number two, I'm just going to call it dish in the dirt. Dish in the dirt. Say, well, what's a dish in the dirt? Sharing that juicy little bit of info you learned about someone. Now, maybe your intent is not to cause damage, but keeping the gossip alive, it keeps spreading and tainting the image of the person it's about. Proverbs 2019 tells us that a gossip betrays, excuse me, betrays a confidence so that we should avoid a man who talks too much. Exodus 23.1, thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Now think about this. Anybody can make an accusation, right? Doesn't mean it's true. How many times have we seen even in our society people that falsely accused a celebrity or a political figure or someone well-known, even a, a minister or a pastor or a preacher, and made a false accusation against them that wasn't true? And the Bible tells us, don't give a false report. And it says, don't even be a witness to it. All right? Number three, rumors. You hear something and it's not good. And it's also not confirmed as true. So you don't really know, hey, I heard this, don't know if it's true. But you tell someone or you ask someone else about it to get more info or you put it up on Facebook and say, I heard such and such. Anybody know if this is true? The rumor mill turns and turns, and the gossip begins to spread. But Proverbs 13, 3 tells us, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. 1 Timothy 5, 19 tells us not to receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now you might think, well, Sister McGee, that's kind of strange. Why would the Bible instruct us not to receive an accusation unless there was two or three witnesses? Well, one, we really need evidence or proof before we make accusations. But I believe that the scripture is here because the devil is very cunning. And he'll easily use a disgruntled saint to be an accuser of the brethren, true? And especially those in leadership. And that's why the Bible specifically said not to receive an accusation against an elder. You think about if someone came in the church 
and accused Bishop McGee of some horrible thing. I saw him down at the gas station buying a lottery ticket. All right? Makes the accusation. Well, the Bible tells us not to receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. Because it's very easy for the devil to come along and use somebody to be a liar, to accuse someone in leadership. Because the devil knows if he can destroy the ministry, if he can destroy the leadership, then he'll get the church because he'll affect every one that God has placed that shepherd over. It, it trickles on down from the top. So the Bible's saying, you hear something about someone in leadership, don't automatically assume and accept that accusation to be true. You need two or three witnesses to collaborate that, okay? Number four, backbiting. Backbiting is a type of gossip that involves speaking spiteful about another who is not present and can do nothing to defend themselves. It's secretive, and the Bible actually mentions it by name. Proverbs 22:23 says, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Another version says, A north wind brings stormy weather, and a gossipy tongue stormy looks. Psalms 101:5 says, Whoso privately, in other words, in private, slanders their neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that has a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Now sometimes backbiting, this particular type of gossip, it may come from people harboring jealousy. There are sometimes people that come along, maybe they're envious of someone's position or their blessings or the favor or the honor that they have. Example, here's an example. You might hear things like, well, I don't know who thinks she thinks she is. She just thinks she's so special. She ain't nothing. I saw her the other day in town, and I waved at her, and she didn't wave back. I know she saw me, you know. And, and here it goes, the little backbiting. And here it goes. Or it may stem from anger, hatred, grudges, vengeance. Because here's one fact that we need to think about. And I feel like the Lord confirmed this in what I was feeling when I was down in Tennessee. Brother Maupin was preaching, actually, at Brother Carpenter's Sunday night while we were there. And he made this statement. Hurt people want to hurt people. When they've been done wrong, when they've been hurt, then they want to lash back out at others and try to get even. So a lot of times, that's a defense mechanism that people use to just lash back out. Well, I want them to hurt as bad as I've been hurt. I want them to feel what I felt because they hurt me. He told a story about a man and... Uh, talked about this man who was bitten by a poisonous snake. The man was bitten by the poisonous snake. The poison started coursing through his system. He only had so long to make it to the hospital because he needed the anti-venom in order to survive, true? But instead he decided, I gotta find that snake and I gotta kill it so it doesn't hurt anybody else. So he goes after the snake. He's determined to find it and kill that snake. He tracks it down, and the whole time he's tracking down that snake, that poison is getting more and more and more in his body, and he's getting weaker. Now, there is the moral to the story is this, is that whether or not the man found the snake or not, I don't know. But if he found the snake and killed him, at what cost? Because at that point it was too late for him, because the poison was going to kill him too. And the moral is this, sometimes people hurt us, and it's inevitable at times that everyone in this room, we're probably going to hurt one another. Hopefully not on purpose. Hopefully it was just an accident and unintentional. But the defense mechanism is to turn around and say, well, I'm going to hurt them because they hurt me, or I'm going to go talk about them. But what we don't realize is the hurt that we experienced 
we need the anti-venom. We need to take it to God and let him heal us. Because if we turn around and decide, I'm going to hurt them back, we may chase after that person, try to make their life miserable, try to hurt them back. But the whole time, the poison that's hurt us, it's festering. The devil's been able to come in and creep in, and many more things are happening to poison ourselves. And we don't realize it, but before it's all said and done, yeah, we may have got vengeance and we may have got them back, but in the process, we killed ourselves spiritually. Jesus told us in 1 Peter not to return evil for evil or to revile for reviling. I know that there's times that a good point to think about is, okay, this person did this to me, but if I turn around and do it back, I'm no different. You know, you make the statement, I'm not going to stoop to their level. I remember when I was in high school, everybody's been there. It doesn't matter. At this point in time, I was in a Christian high school. I was at a Christian school. But it doesn't matter what high school you're in. There's cliques no matter where you're at, right? It's just part of growing up, part of being a teenager. And uh, there was this one girl, and she was kind of um, more popular, kind of arrogant. She was, she was kind of a, really just a mean girl. She really was. And um, we were having basketball practice, and she just thought it'd be hilarious just to walk up to me during volleyball practice and smack me. Now, not in the face, but she, I had my arms like this. She was hauled off. She was behind me, and she smacked me. And I just kind of was shocked. And immediately the girls were like, smack her back, smack her back. And I just stopped, and I just said, no, I'm not going to speak to the le her level. And I just went on. Was it hard? Oh, yeah. Don't think I didn't want to turn around and just smack her right back. Because what she did was wrong, and it hurt. And it was humiliating. But I'm thankful that God gave me your strength. Although, in my flesh, what I really want to do is smack her back. I, did I? No, I didn't. Not saying I've always had that restraint. We've all made the mistakes of lashing back when we should have held our tongue. Number five, the not really joking jokes. Have you ever taken some part of truth and turned it into a joke about someone and it made others question their character? It's kind of a passive way to spread gossip. Here's kind of an example. Well, maybe one day she'll actually get off the couch long enough to do blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and you make a joke about it. But when the joke is harming to another person and harmful, it's mockery. How can you know a mocker? Well, when does it become mocking? Proverbs 21, 24 says they're proud and haughty and act with boundless arrogance. And verse 9 and 8 tells us that a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. This is very telling. Because if you have a mocker in your midst and you ever try to help bring them some guidance or correction, they will reject it. They will not accept it. And many times, if you're trying to correct or help someone who is a mocker, suddenly you're attacking them and they're a victim. They're a victim and you're attacking. And usually, you'll end up being the subject of the next gossip session. Sometimes that can be a very difficult role for a pastor's wife. And so most of the time, when that type of thing comes up, it's just hands off, God, much prayer, a lot of godly wisdom, and God just helped me deal with it the right way. Because a lot of times, a mocker, only God can do it. Because a person cannot. Sometimes it's only God that can change the heart of that person. But today, when I was um, putting together some more of my lesson, I want to share something with you. Um, I actually sent out a text to some of my fellow pastor's wives that I'm friends with. I have quite a few that I'm connected with. Um, I thank God for them. And I told them what I was speaking about tonight. 
And I said, do any of you have any stories or situations or times where gossip has affected your church or your life? And how did you deal with it? Do you have any words you'd like to share? And I actually had some feedback. Um, I want to share, uh, I'm going to share them with you throughout the night, but I want to share this one with you. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you who they are or where they came from. Most of them you wouldn't know anyway. She said, hey, sis, I realize that I'm no longer a little kid, but having been a preacher's kid my entire life, I have a huge burden for them. Unfortunately, pastors and pastor's wives do tend to be a huge target for slander. And while some people are cautious to make sure the spouse is not around, then tend to think the kids aren't listening. I remember plenty of times as a little kid playing with some other saints' kids and hear the adults attacking my parents. And unfortunately, it doesn't stop. Not too long ago, my husband received a call from a saint. He answered it on speakerphone because it was just him and, and I. And before he could take it off speakerphone, she called my father everything under the sun but a pastor, said that he was too busy with the district and missions to be a proper pastor to our church, that her son, who both my husband and father had invested countless hours in prayers and even money invested in him, wasn't in church because my dad didn't care, that my father was a failure. As a daddy's girl, I was so mad, I was shaking, crying, but I couldn't say anything. As the worship leader, I had to stand in the pulpit encouraging this very woman, leading her into his presence, when really I wanted to give her a piece of my mind. I realized that my anger towards her was hindering my own worship. My anger towards her was keeping me from where I wanted to be. I went to where she was sitting, and I knelt at her feet. I laid my hands on her feet as if it was a foot washing and began to pray. I cried. It was an ugly cry. But I had to forgive her and asked forgiveness for harboring it. That night in service, I watched as chains fell off of her. Before I could even leave the church, I saw that she had posted and tagged my parents and myself about what wonderful pastors she had in her life, how neither she nor her kids would be anywhere near where they were now without the guidance of their pastor. And I was reminded that just because someone was bitter, I couldn't let that bitterness take root in my heart. All that does is take up space in my heart where I need him isn't that awesome? I thanked her for sharing her heart with me. Proverbs 22.10 tells us to drive out the mocker. And if we drive them out, out will go the strife, the quarrels, and the insults, and they will end. Now, you may say, drive them out, like tell them to leave the church. No, not at all. Everyone needs salvation and everyone needs God. But how can you deal with the mocker? A good way is... If they tell a joke that's not funny, don't laugh at it. Don't give them an audience, because these types of jokes aren't funny. Psalms 1 and 1 even tells us not to sit in the seat of mockers, so we don't want to give them an audience. All right? Number six, planting seeds. This type of gossip is said in such a way to make the listener question or assume something about the character of a person. For example, planting a seed. Isn't it weird how she keeps staring at your husband when you aren't looking? Just a question, but it plants a seed. It tarnishes that reputation. Maybe there is something wrong with him. Why are they? And here we go, right? It may not mean anything, but you planted a seed that could grow into something that could become a rumor, could become slander, something very dangerous. James 3 and 5 even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. In other words, the tongue's real small, 
but it can do great big damage. Number seven, whispered innuendo. Whispered innuendos. Now, these little subtle insinuations can mislead others into thinking wrong thoughts, especially if the conclusion or what's being stated is just based on gossip or based on maybe a hunch that that person had. It, here's an example. Hmm. You know, it's interesting how that money was stolen right when he was having financial problems. What does one have to do with the other? Right? Luke 12 and 3 tells us, Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Because we all know, gossip doesn't stay between two people. Gossip's like a fire and it spreads. Does it not? And finally, number eight. We're just calling this, got this all wrong gossip. Got this all wrong gossip. You admit you probably got it wrong. But you spread it anyway because it's still touching on some points that could be true or it sounds exciting if it was true. Either way, it usually starts out like this. I probably got this all wrong, but apparently, and there it goes. This is one of the most common types of gossip because we think, hey, I'm just passing on the latest news. Could it hurt someone? Maybe, but does it matter? It does matter. James 4.17 tells us, He that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All right? So to help us understand a little bit more about gossip, let's look at a case in the Bible, in 2 Samuel. Now, we all know who King David, right? King David. He is the king of Israel. And Absalom was one of his sons. And Absalom was a young man that was deeply hurt by his father. He had a valid reason to be hurt, okay? Because Absalom's sister, his full sister, Tamar, had been raped by their half-brother, Amnon, okay? David got really angry, but David didn't act. He didn't punish, he didn't throw him in jail, he didn't have him killed, nothing like that, okay? He didn't do anything about it. And Absalom got very bitter, and he let that bitterness simmer for two years. And after two years, he went and murdered Amnon in cold blood and fled the country. Got his revenge and left. Three years went by. And David really wanted Absalom to come back. I mean, that was his son after all. He loved him. Had he done wrong? Yeah, but he still loved him. But he felt like he couldn't do it. But Joab, who was David's top general, he used trickery to get David to admit how badly he really wanted to bring Absalom home, and so David consented. But to kind of keep up the appearance of justice, when Absalom came back to Jerusalem, David refused to see him. For two years, Absalom was in the same town as his father, and David refused to see him. He would not see his son. Finally, Absalom couldn't stand it any longer, and he forced the issue. The father and the son met, and David kissed Absalom. But by now, Absalom was even more bitter and rebellious than before. Now, let's hear about what happens now. So Absalom's in Jerusalem. He's very bitter. He's angry at his father. So he organizes a little following and takes on a self-appointed role. The Bible says that he provided for himself. And he started to befriend all those people that had complaints. All the people that maybe had a little smidgen of a complaint about the kingdom, about David, about the people in leadership. And he started developing a following. Gossips always look for those who have a complaint because they'll really listen very quickly to the damaging rumors. He took an interest in them, Absalom did, by asking them where they were from. 
But it wasn't a real true interest because Absalom wasn't really concerned with them, but he was just concerned with furthering himself over his dad, who he was mad at, because his plan was to overthrow his dad. But the people that were talking to Absalom and engaging in the gossip and telling their complaints, they couldn't discern that. They just finally felt, hey, here's someone that really cares. Here's someone that really will listen to all my problems. Here's someone that will really listen to everything that's going wrong. And, and Absalom kind of just portrayed that image, and gossips do that. You can trust me. I care for you. I understand what you're going through and trying to deal with that impossible person. Talk to me. I can help you deal with them. Absalom gave them personalized attention like they had never seen before. He put themselves on their level. You know, when people come through and there was King David, they would bow down. But Absalom, he would go up and he would greet them with a kiss. He was just kind of saying to them, I'm just a regular guy like you. I'm not royalty. I know what it's like to be a working man. And he made them feel that here was someone who cared for them and understood their problem. And in the process, he was subtly undermining the king. He was subtly taking the followers that were supposed to be loyal to David, and he was pulling their loyalties away to himself. He told them he would give them the justice they were now having problems obtaining. <laughs> Makes you wonder if there's some modern politicians haven't studied this, right? Especially right now. And a lot of times that's even how it happens in a church. A person gets hurt over an incident. They feel like the church failed to meet their needs. They grow bitter. They blame the leadership for not caring. And then the hurt person, they want to go talk to one of the leaders, but it doesn't happen. And then one day they run into someone who seems caring and seems concerned, so he shares his complaint. And the caring, in quotation marks, person replies, well, it doesn't surprise me. You're not the first person to have this kind of problem with them, you know. Really? Oh, yes. In fact, I was just talking with another family who ran into that same problem. And then he goes on to describe the situation. Oh, those pastors just don't seem to care. We need some leaders that care about the needs of good people like you. That's just a, a sample situation that goes on in churches across America and in groups. And that's gossip and slander in operation. And the person who felt hurt, the best thing they could have done, the people that had complaints about David, they should have just went, to the, went to the, up there to David and said, hey, you know, there's some problems in the kingdom. Here's our problem. But no, they diverted it to somebody else, and they started gossiping and slander. A lot of times the person that's gossiping will test the waters by saying things like, it doesn't surprise me, you know, there's others, you know. And they kind of implying that they've kind of got inside information, but that they're willing to share, but they're kind of testing the waters. And if the hurt person takes the bait, they'll be like, oh, really? Or, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. And then the gossip who took up the offense assumes that position and begin to share more damaging gossip, which that person had no business sharing. Now, through it all, they may show a true concern for the hurt person, but that gossip is kind of contrasting themselves and trying to say, I care, but they don't. Satan uses that scenario so many times to destroy people in churches, to destroy friendships, to destroy ladies' groups, to destroy relationships in the church, and it should not be. So, let's deal with two questions. How can I deal with my own gossip, and how can I deal with gossip in others? All right? So I'm going to pass these out. I'm going to kind of go down this. This is actually a bookmark you can keep. You're saying, wow, that's a really big bookmark. But gossip's a really big topic. All right? I couldn't fit it all into a little small one, or you would have had to get out your magnifying glass to read it. Okay? So I'm just going to hand these to you. If you'll take one and just everybody pass it around and take one. 
how do I deal with my own gossip? All right? And these are things that you can look at. So we're going to start going through these. You can look down the list if you want as we go. Number one, see gossip as a serious sin and confess it to God. One of the main reasons we don't deal with gossip is that we just excuse it as no big deal. It's kind of not seen. You think about a sin like, oh, man, they committed adultery. Or, oh, they're living in the sin of homosexuality. Or that person committed armed robbery. So we rationalize it. We tolerate it. But we need to understand there is a lot of destruction in our tongue. And we need to confess and forsake the sin of gossip. Proverbs 18.21 states that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen to this proverb that the Japanese have. It's pretty neat. It says, though the tongue is only three inches long, it can slay a man six feet high. So true. Proverbs 16, 27, 28 states, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. A forward man soweth strife, and a whisper separateth chief friends. Gossip spreads contention, and it contaminates people that come in contact with it. One of my favorite scriptures regarding gossip is in Proverbs 26. Listen to how, I'm going to quote it to you from the Message Bible. You can look it up in the King James if you want. It's Proverbs 26, 20 through 22. When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. When the gossip ends, the quarrel dies down. A quarrelsome person in a dispute is like kerosene thrown on a fire. Listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you want junk like that in your belly? And that's such a great way to describe it. Think about professional boxers. Now, you know, it's been joked about, stuff on t-shirts, but this is really true. Professional boxers have to be careful that they don't get in a fight just on the street with an average Joe because their hands literally are, in court, considered lethal weapons. Like, they could really be prosecuted a little different than if they had a gun in their hand because they're trained, and these are lethal. They know how to deliver a punch with their whole body that could actually kill a man. We need to see our tongues that way, that what's right here in our mouth is a lethal weapon. And we can kill a man with it, or a woman. James 1.26, I'm going to read to you. I've actually got some scriptures. This one's the New Living Translation. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. That's pretty strong and pretty straight. We need to bridle our tongue, just like an unbroken horse they put a bridle on so they can control where he goes. We need to control what comes out of our mouth. And you say, but I have trouble doing that. I'm going to give you some tips on how you can do that. James also says in chapter 3, verse 2, that we all stumble, okay? Here's the thing. All of us screw up. All of us make mistakes, right? We're human. But it goes on to say that if we're never at fault in what we say, we would be perfect and able to control us, ourselves in every other way. In other words, James is saying this. If you get to the point that you're so tuned into God and so led by the Spirit that you're able at all times to control what you say and you don't say anything out of turn and you don't say anything wrong, that at that point you're able to control every other area of your life. That's how powerful the tongue is. All right? Until we see that our tongues are capable of evil and we have to recognize that and realize that it's sin, then we're not going to conquer gossip. Number two, realize that you cannot conquer gossip in your own strength. Okay? It's not within us to do it ourselves. It's not, there's nothing good in our flesh. We don't have that ability. 
Because the Bible tells us that there's all kinds of, in James it says there's beasts and birds, serpents, things. The sea, it's all been tamed. Mankind's tamed all kinds of beasts. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. No one can tame the tongue, the Bible says. That shows the power of sin over fallen human nature. Because Jesus said that evil speech stems from our heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So what comes out of our mouth shows what's in our heart. Number three, yield your tongue to God as an instrument of righteousness. Paul says that rather than letting sin reign in our bodies, where we go on presenting our bodies as instruments of sin, that we need to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, we want to be vessels God uses and works through. We don't want the devil working through us. We want God working through us. It's a choice of masters. You either serve sin or you serve God. And sometimes day to day, what choice you make changes, and we need to make the choice to serve God. Now, here's one way to help overcome that sin. Memorize scripture. A verse that can help the battle to control the tongue is Proverbs 12:18. Listen to this. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Now think about it like this. Think in your mind about my tongue can either be a sword or it can be a scalpel. A sword is used to inflict damage. A scalpel is used by a surgeon to cut out something that's unhealthy and make that person well. Right? Our tongue has the power to be a sword or to be a scalpel. I can speak rashly and I can wound someone just like the thrust of a sword. Or I can consider what I'm saying and use my tongue as like a scalpel to help bring healing. Okay? That leads to the next step, number four. Make a commitment to build others in Christ, not to tear them down. And sometimes this is a hard one. People, it's, it's very um, damaging in churches when people get to the point that they feel like they're so holy or so perfect or at this point that it's sad because they feel like they're so, so much a Christian, but in actuality they're being used by the enemy because they're tearing other people down by talking about how not spiritual the other people are. Okay. Ephesians 4.29 gives us this contrast. Let no corrupt, the word corrupt there literally means rotten. Let no rotten communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Think about that. Something rotten can come out of your mouth or something that's graceful, administers health and help to people. Have you ever bitten into a piece of rotten fruit? I know I've bitten into a rotten tomato before, and that's disgusting. And you just spit it out. There's nothing worse, in my opinion, than a rotten tomato. It's gross, especially those little cherry ones, and you bite it, and it's bad. Oh, it's so gross. And you want to spit your mouth out, and the first thing you do is grab a drink, and you're swishing around and rinsing it out and spitting it out. That is how we should feel about speech that tears others down. We should not want that in our mouth. It should just be rotten to us that we just want to spit it out and get rid of it. When we say things behind someone's back that tear them down or ruin their reputation, it's rotten speech. It may even be true. And that's what I think some people don't realize. Gossip is still gossip, even if the things you're sharing is true. Maybe someone committed adultery and had an affair. And it's absolutely true. And you go telling people about it. What's the motive? What's the point? Why are you sharing it? Does it help that person? No. Does it damage their reputation? Yes. Does the person you told need to know that they did that? No. Absolutely not. It doesn't build them up. It tears them down. Does it help restore them to Christ? No. Absolutely not. 
By way of contrast, we're to say things that build people up according to their need, that it may give them grace. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean that we just kind of mask over people's faults and make them look good and always talk positive and it's just Pollyanna perfect and nothing's ever wrong and no one ever hurt me or nothing like that, okay? We're not trying to pretend everything's hunky-dory and nothing bad ever happens, okay? Let's be real. Let's be honest, okay? Bad things happen. But sometimes we have to go about it the right way. And again, going back to many times, things can be resolved one-on-one just with that person. The problem is where you have a problem with someone, instead of going to them, you go to everyone else but them. That's when it causes a problem. Even in the New Testament, Paul sometimes warned his readers of individuals whom he named who were causing problems for the church. He told the church in Rome, Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from him. There was people amongst them stirring up discord, stirring up strife, saying things that weren't true. The leadership's trying to teach the word of God. They're trying to contradict it. And Paul stands up and says, you don't need to listen to these people that are constantly speaking against the leadership that's constantly speaking against the word. And he spoke out publicly that they didn't need to give ear to these people. Okay? So sometimes those things are necessary. But we need to make the commitment to build others up and not tear them down, whether they're in our presence or not. Number five, fill your life with meaningful work. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about young widows who were idle and went about from house to house as gossips and busybodies, talking about things that weren't proper to talk about. And listen to what he told them. He said, get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. You might think, what? He's telling them they got too much time on their hands. And he says, it would be better for you, rather than going around from house to house gossiping, it would be better if you would get married, have children, and take care of your children and keep your house. And let your focus be on your family and on good things, because you've got too much time that you're doing this. And even though men can be prone to gossip, just like women, there are men that do it, okay? But most of the New Testament and these things about gossip are written to women. Okay? In Titus 2, 3 through 5, Paul writes that, among other things, even older women are not to be malicious gossips, so that they can teach the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be workers at home. In other words, it says, ladies, as we start getting up into the older years of our life, our children may be grown and out of the house. We may be, you know, widows. We may be living alone. It says, don't be idle. Don't spread malicious gossip. Take that time to be an example to the younger women on how to love their husbands and how to care for their children and how to love the Lord and how to serve the church and how to serve the Lord. Use that time in your life for good things. Don't settle down into the role of becoming a gossiper. It even tells us that women in the church and leadership, that they're not to be malicious gossips. Whether for men or women, it takes time to spread gossip. It doesn't just happen like that. You have to literally pick up the phone, sit down at someone's house, Did you know, I heard, I read, I saw on Facebook, did you know that so they haven't been to church? I mean, it can go on and on and on. And those conversations take time. And as you spread them and you talk about them, you're tearing that person down. And you're not filling your life with meaningful work. But you're actually not doing the work of the Lord, you're doing the work of the enemy. Okay? And I'll probably say this again later, but I think it's pretty sad when the devil, the Bible says that he is an accuser of the brethren. He likes to come around, the devil likes to come around and say, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so, and he's just an accuser. But isn't it a sad day when the devil can sit back and cross his arms and we do his work for him? That's a sad day. 
We don't want that to happen. And I don't want that to happen with us. I want us to be a strong, unified group of ladies that love one another and build each other up. Number six, examine your motives for sharing information about another person. This is a biggie. This is a biggie. And this is where you can't play games, but you really got to be honest with yourself and honest with God. Why do I need to share this information with this person? Is it to make me look good and the other person look bad? Maybe I have a gripe about the other person. Maybe I'm trying to win people to my side by running them down. Perhaps I want to share information because it feels good to be in the know. Then others will look at me as the one who always has the inside scoop. Perhaps the other person it feels like they're a threat to me, and I want to make myself more secure and surround myself with more people that's on my side. There's a lot of reasons we can give for sharing something about another person behind their back. The only right reason for sharing damaging information about a person behind their back is to seek to bring help to the person or to warn someone who could be damaged by this person. Here's an example. Let's say that you're aware that this man is a child molester and he becomes friends with someone that has young children and he's starting to hang around that family and those young children. It might be wise to tell those parents this man has been convicted as a child molester. We need to be careful. You're sharing damaging information about an individual to someone else when they are not present, but you are doing it to protect the children. You had a valid right reason for what you did. You wouldn't have shared it otherwise if he kept his distance and stayed in the corner and he never went around any kids and came to church, sat on the back pew and, you know, whatever, okay? But if you saw that behavior begin to start, it may be wisdom, okay? Um, there are times people have came because we're in leadership and said, I just feel you should know such and such. Okay, thank you. Now, as pastor and pastor's wife, if we've been given information, do we begin to share it? Absolutely not. You all know, and every single one of you in this room, I think most of you, for the most part, have come to me with something that you felt like you needed to share, and I believe you know and you have confirmed that I have never, ever broke your confidence because that's part of my job and my position but we just have to be honest before God about what's our motive, what's our reason, why are we sharing this? Because it's real easy to play games. It's real easy to say, well, I'm just sharing it so they'll pray about it. Is that really your motive? Or is it because you're, you're just so excited that you know something and that if you tell them, they're going to be like, oh, wow, you knew that? That's amazing. If the person you're talking to is not directly involved in the problem and they're not part of the solution. See, that's why a lot of people come to the pastor and pastor's wife because they feel like that we can help be part of the solution to help give them counsel, okay? But if the person you're talking to is not involved in the problem and they aren't part of the solution, and if they don't need to be warned for their protection or their family's protection, they don't need to know the details. Again, that's why we may stand up and say, hey, pray for so-and-so. But we don't give any details because we don't want to um, damage their reputation. And if the person asks questions, you can simply say something like, yes, there are some problems, but I'm not free to divulge details very simple. And if they press, I'm sorry, I really can't say anything. Trust me, I've done it. I've done it. I feel come to me, but I'm like, look, I'm aware, I know, but I can't discuss it. Okay? Simple as that. So don't feel like just because someone presses you or approaches you that you have to talk or you have to share what you know. Alright? And if you ever feel stuck or you ever feel pressured, you can just send them to me. Why don't you go talk to Sister McGee? I'll be happy to listen and talk to you. Bring them to me. And number seven, refuse to listen to those who want to spread gossip. Proverbs 2019 states that we shouldn't associate with a gossip. 
Because if you listen to gossip, then you're tempted to pass it on. If you refuse to listen to it, you won't have fuel for that fire. A gossip will contaminate you with damaging information, and it may hinder you from relationships that could help you grow in the Lord. If someone comes up to you and says, you know, they start, let's say, um, I don't know, just some random thing. I'm not, I don't even have anything in my head at the moment. But just, you know, um, sister so-and-so, you know, there was one time, I know she didn't mean it, but you know that she said such and such. And yeah, she apologized, but you know, that really hurt me at that point in time. And, you know, sometimes she's just hard to get to know, or she's hard to be around, or, you know, I just really don't know. She may not be an easy person for you to get to know. When you could be damaging a relationship that could be so beneficial for that person that's growing in God, but you just totally took a sword and thrust it through and damaged something that could have really been helpful and beneficial to that person, okay? Think about what you say. Think about what you listen to. So you ask... (laughs) How do I refuse to listen to someone who wants to spread gossip? That's a toughie, right? Someone comes up, and boy, they just start in, did you know? And there it goes, right? And you're like, before you even can say, stop, they're five minutes in because they haven't taken a breath, right? So how do I deal with gossip and others? It's never easy. Sometimes it sneaks up on you. But often a gossip will test your spirit before he gives you information. Because if you seem interested, he'll give you more. Sometimes they'll create curiosity by dropping little comments that indicate that they know something that would interest you. And let me tell you, ladies, be careful of the bait that's dropped out there. Be careful of the bait. If you take the bait, what happens when a fish takes the bait? The hook is in, ain't it? When the fish takes the bait, the hook is in, and it's real hard to get off. Be careful. Don't take the bait. You know, uh... You know, things like, oh, maybe someone on Facebook some just posts a real vague, someone really hurt me today. Oh, what happened? Tell me about it. I'll PM you. You took the bait, and the hook is in, and now they're going to tell you the whole story. Privately, because the gossip's not going to put it out for everybody. They're going to tell you in secret. And then you can tell them, you know what? I PM, so they PM'd me and told me all about it. Did you know? And there it goes. Yep. Hey, it's happened. You all know it's happened, but it doesn't need to happen. All right? So we don't need to take the bait. There's a man named Bill Gothard, and he shares five questions to ask before you listen to an evil report. Sometimes when someone comes up to us and they want to share gossip, we don't have a chance to start asking them these questions. But usually if someone starts to gossip, the first thing you need to get these questions in your mind, and as soon as you can, you need to shoot that first question out. Number one, what is your reason for telling me? You ask that person, why are you telling me this? What's your reason? You're asking the person their motive in sharing the information with you. Is it so you can be involved in the situation? Why you and not someone else? If it's none of your business, then tell the person, I'm really not the one to talk to about this matter. You should go directly to the person involved. A gentleman shared this story. said there was an elderly lady in our church that didn't like the fact that we started using the guitar in our worship services. She started calling other women in the church, trying to win them to her side. And they was running me, the pastor, the man says, down in the process. But she made the mistake of calling the wife of one of our elders, who told her, you have no business calling me or any other person. You need to go talk to the pastor. Then this elder's wife came and told me, the pastor, what was going on. 
So I went to visit the lady and gently tried to tell her, if you have a problem, just come to the one you have a problem with. We can talk about it. Well, that was totally foreign to her mode of operation, he said. The next time I called on her, just to check on her, she snapped at me, have you come to ball me out again? But to my knowledge, she stopped spreading gossip and dissension in the church. Number two, you ask the person, where did you get this information? If a person refuses to tell the source of their information, they're probably spreading an evil report. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was open about his source of information. He said, I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. There's quarrels among you. In other words, he wrote the church and he said, I understand that there's problems in your church. There's quarrels going on, and I know this because Chloe's people told me about it. He shared where the information came from, okay? Number three, you ask him, have you gone to those people involved in this problem? Jesus was clear. If you have a problem with your brother, you just go directly to them and seek to clear it up. If a person hasn't done this, they're not interested in helping restore the offender. They're just interested in spreading gossip. Unless that person's never been instructed on how to deal with the matters. But such is part of the teaching tonight. I'm hoping all of us can learn from it. You can say things like, I can't verify the things you're saying, but before you talk to anyone else, you need to go to that person and talk to them about it. If you need help on how to do that, I'll help you. Or I'll get the pastor's wife to help you. Then I'd like you to come tell me how it went. So you tell them, hey, you just give them a little bit of accountability. You know what? If you have such a problem with this person, just go talk to them. And when you get done, come tell me how it went. Number four, you ask them, have you personally checked out all the facts? Because a lot of times gossip's based on hearsay or misinformation. Or the person spreading it has listened only to one side. And that is such a huge thing. In fact, that's something that Pastor and I keep in mind very much at the forefront when someone comes to us with an issue or a problem. You've heard the saying, and it's absolutely true. There's always two sides to every story. And it comes from a scripture in Proverbs in the NIV, that's, and listen to it in this um, translation. The first to present his case seems right, till another comes forward and questions him. In the Message Bible, it says, the first speech in a court case is always convincing until the cross-examination starts. Isn't that so true? You think, man... That just has to be true. But then they come up and they start cross-examining them and then the doubts and start, oh, wait a minute, maybe that's not exactly right. Well, there's always two sides to every story. By the time gossip travels down the line, it gets so distorted. But we're to speak truth, right? We're people of the name and we believe in truth and not just in the truth of the word and the truth of the gospel, but truth in the things that we speak. If we haven't checked the fact, it's only a rumor, not verified. And finally, number five. Can I quote you if I check this out? A gossip does not want to be quoted because she's not sure of the facts and she doesn't want to be involved in the situation. Somebody that's actually just a gossiper could care less about the situation being resolved. They just want to be the person telling the stories and getting the information. So if they don't want to be quoted, then there's a good chance they're not interested in a solution. Listen to this. A professor at Princeton University ran an experiment to test the velocity of gossip. He called six students to his office, and in very strict confidence, he informed them that the Duke and the Duchess of Windsor were planning to come and attend an event at the university. Within a week, within seven days, this completely fictitious story had reached no less than 2,000 students. 
City officials even phoned the university demanding to know why they had not been informed. Press agencies, they were phoning for details. The professor observed, that was a pleasant rumor. It was something that was good. There was no damage to a reputation, in a sense. It says, a slanderous one travels even faster. That was some good news. Let it be bad news, it'll travel twice as fast. If we want to develop and protect loving relationships in our church, then we must deal with the sin of gossip. First, we confront it in our own lives. Then we deal with gossip in others by refusing to listen and then gently correct anyone who tries to spread gossip to us. Let's love to tell the story of God, but let's hate to tell anyone else's story unless it builds up the body of Christ. We are all connected in the body of Christ. Do you know that there are autoimmune diseases, for example, lupus, that causes the body's own immune system to attack its own healthy cells? The very system that was put in place to protect our body from outside invaders and diseases turns on its own body and begins to destroy healthy cells. As the body of Christ, we should be united and defend each other against Satan's attacks. But what a sad day, as I said, when he can look back and watch the body destroy itself. Is it normal for someone to take a hammer and slam it down on their own hand? No way, absolutely not. It's not normal to cause pain and suffering to our own body. But that's what we do when we spread gossip about each other in the church. Let me share with you a couple more um, pastor's wives' stories that were shared with me today uh, by way of text. She said, I have recently seen a family from my dad's church who were having some financial issues with the loss of a job and other things. Some church people brought them some food while others gossiped about the man and that he couldn't provide for his family. It soon got back to him and he took his whole family out. These were good people who were just going through a rough patch. Our tongues can destroy new people before they even receive the truth. Truly sad over people who had no idea what they were even talking about. And that's where it comes down to rumors. Many people observe something and they think they know exactly what's going on, when in reality they have no idea what's going on. It's very sad. The Bible says that in the day of judgment, we're going to be held accountable for every idle word we speak. Everything that comes out of our mouth that we speak that shouldn't have been spoken, we're going to give an account for before God. Here's another one. My experience with folks who we've dealt with gossiping and running people down is they need to be aware that how they judge others, God may see how they handle the same situation if they have to walk that road. Years ago, a girl in our church went through a really bad divorce. I watched as four young ladies ran her down, and they literally became friends just because their topic was this girl. Needless to say, we watched all four go through terrible marriage problems shortly after. Two divorced, and two couples survived adultery. Only by God's grace are they together. So my point is that people need to be really careful how they talk and judge others, because at some point they may face the same situation. The Bible states, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We need to examine our conversation and ask ourselves, what's coming out of my mouth? And if it isn't good, then we need to examine our heart and make our heart right with God. Because to correct our speech, we must correct our heart. Think about this. Many times people have asked the question, why did God choose tongues? 
for the proof of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because if we are so submitted to the Spirit that we allow Jesus to have control of our tongues, you can rest assured that at that moment, God has control of that person's heart. The Bible says the tongue is evil and full of deadly poison, but God has the ability to tame our tongue when we completely yield to him. When we are so completely yielded to the Spirit that we are filled with the Holy Ghost, what do we do? We begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. The Spirit is using our tongue to speak out of our body. And although we may not go day to day speaking in tongues every moment of every day, we can still allow the Spirit to be so in control of our body that what we speak out of our mouth is controlled by Him and His Spirit. When's the last time you had a spiritual breakthrough and just spoke in tongues that the Spirit gave the utterance? Has it been a long time? Because some of us would do a world of good if we just get an old-fashioned refilling of the Holy Ghost. That would solve a lot of issues and a lot of problems. If we're being truly Spirit-led and sensitive to His Spirit, our heart will be right, our motives will be right, and therefore our conversation will be right. I want you to take a moment, ladies, and just look around this room. Just look around the room at everyone. Look at everybody that's sitting in this room. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, have I ever spoken badly of someone that's sitting in this room with me? Why did I do that? What was my motive? Now we definitely, if we have spoken ill, we need to ask God for forgiveness. But I would say this, if you've spoken about someone badly behind their back, it's not wisdom to go to that person and say, I need to apologize because I spoke about you behind your back and I said these things about you. Because all you're doing is causing further damage. Okay? They weren't aware of it. It was between you and God. Now you may need to go to the person you spoke to about them and say, you know what? I spoke out of turn. I shouldn't have said those things. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. But don't cause further damage. Okay? Ask yourself, have I talked about anyone in this room behind their back in an evil or malicious way? Have I talked about my sister in Christ? Did it help the situation they were in, or did it just spread gossip? Did it damage that person's reputation? Then ask yourself, would the words I have spoken be hurtful if I said them directly to the person I'm talking about? That can eliminate a lot of conversations. If you're like, I would never tell them that to their face, don't tell it to anybody else either. And I can stand here and say that I know all of us have been guilty, myself included. There's not a person in this room that's not been guilty of the sin of gossip. And we need to ask God to forgive us and cleanse us. Because I want us as a church, I really believe that this year God is doing great things in this church. God is taking us places. There's a shifting in the spirit. There's a shifting in the atmosphere. There's 46 people going to church camp, you guys. God's doing something. God spoke to us this year that a 50-soul harvest was being released. And the devil wants to come in and corrupt and destroy and damage that. And that's why I think tonight's lesson, not, I'm, and just so you guys know, I'm not aware of any gossip or damaging conversations or anything like that, okay? How do I keep myself from gossiping? How do I deal with other people that try to gossip to me? And there's some scriptures on there. You can go back and look at that. What were those questions again? You have them. Stick it in your Bible. Put a magnet on the back and stick it on your fridge. Put a piece of tape and stick it on your mirror in your bathroom. Put it somewhere where you can go back and resource that again and say, okay, I need to remember this. 
recording this tonight because there's other ladies not here. And I feel like that every lady in this church, we all need to hear this just to make ourselves aware. Because the Bible says we are not ignorant of the devil's devices, right? Whenever you have knowledge, you have power. And when we're knowledgeable about how the devil will try to hurt us, we can be an overcomer and we can have power not to let that come in and destroy us, right? I'd like everybody just to stand tonight. And I'd ask if you would just take a moment and close your eyes. Everyone just close your eyes. And if we could all just start talking to God and asking him to help us. God, that you would shape us, that you would help us in our conversation. We need to open our mouth right now. We begin to need to start talking to God and asking him to help us. Lord, God, I pray that you would help us, God, to be what you want us to be. God, that you would lead us in our conversation that you would help us, Lord, to be what you want us to be. God, I pray that you would move amongst our ladies. Come on, ladies, let's lift our voice. Let's make this a time of prayer right now. God, we need you, Jesus. Let's lift our voice in prayer to God. Lord, I pray, God, that you would forgive us, Lord, of the times we spoke out of turn, God. The times that we have done things and said things, God, that should not have been said, God. Lord, I pray that you would unite us, God. Strengthen us, God, that we would be, Lord, a strong and united ladies group, God. Lord, for where two or three are gathered, Lord, in your name, God. Lord, we know you are in the midst, and there is power, God. Lord, we want to be what you want us to be. I would ask right now, if every lady in this room, if you would come up to the altar area, let's just form a circle and let's join hands. And let's ask God to strengthen us, that he would join us together in one mind and one body, that we would be an encourager to one another that when we see somebody that's downtrodden, we see somebody going through a situation that we don't talk about them, but that we ask God to help us be an encourager and strengthen that lady in the faith. Get everybody in here. Let's go to God in prayer. God, strengthen us, Lord, as a ladies group. God, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, God, for every lady that is here. God, I pray let us be spirit-led in our speech, God. Lord, let us be spirit-minded, God. I pray, Lord, for every lady in this room, God. Lord, that you would lead and guide her, God. Lord, rebuke and bind every thought of the enemy, God, that would come in, God, and try to speak lies, God, to our mind. Lord, they would try to bring discord and sow discord among us, God. I pray, Lord, help us stay strong and united, God. Lord, that we can be mighty and do exploits for you, God. Lord, I pray that you administer, God, through every lady in this room, Jesus. God, Lord Jesus, we are in need of your spirit, God. Lord, in our flesh there's no good thing, God. Lord, we need your righteousness, God. We need your holiness, God. Let our speech be holy. Let our conversation be pure, God. Lord, let our words be true, God. Lord, let us show compassion. Let us show kindness, God. Let us show your love, God. Lord, let us see others, Lord, through your eyes, God, to see them as you see them, God. Lord, to show love, God, and compassion, Lord, to every individual, Lord. Lord, you are so good to us, God. I thank you for your word, God, that instructs us in how to live, God. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.